Welcome to Healthcare 2030. This program features conversations and interviews with respected healthcare industry experts discussing the latest topics regarding current issues today and the future of healthcare, innovation, and technology. To learn more about OxioHealth, head over to oxiohealth.io. That's www.oxiohealth.io. Now here's your host, Noel Guillama. Welcome to Healthcare 2030. My name is Noel Guillama, and I am your host of this podcast. I'd like to introduce you to Carl Larson, who's a co-host. Well, and and and, and uh, comic relief. Comic relief, yes. Somebody, somebody has to uh, interject a little, uh, a little humor into what is really a uh, a difficult conversation. You know, healthcare is a big, big subject, and uh, we're in a lot of pain right now in healthcare, and uh, we're hopefully have some uh, some solutions and some way ways out that uh, we can talk about in this uh, this podcast. Well, I feel a little bit bad now that I think about it and I sort of listen to what we said last in the last podcast. This is now the fourth in a series sort of post-COVID, um, what happens to America, uh, healthcare system, you know, yeah. a, a, after the COVID crisis. And we talked a little bit about, you know, the, the zoo that I created uh, last time between the uh, the gray rhinos, the black swans, and and the golden rats, uh, which I think by hopefully people will understand the the value and the opportunity sort of that renaissance of healthcare, but it was pretty depressing because we mm. talked about those headlines, um, which I think were very powerful, and I didn't create them. I remember, no. we talked about the Bloomberg and the Wall Street Journal, and even the Financial Times got into it about you know the the dire straits that healthcare was in. I am an optimist. Uh, and I have been both fascinated, um, challenged, and, and and deeply disturbed about the challenge, the, the problems with healthcare has been in the 32 years almost that I have been in it, and and the just utter dysfunctionality of what is not only the largest industry in the United States um, by number of employees, uh, even today, by percentage of GDP. By growth rate, yes. Um, you know, we not too long ago we had a, a series of, of blogs that we called it the United States of Healthcare, which mm-hmm. it, it really is, and it will return to that. Um, so I think that I'm going to try to make this one, uh, or try to have a conversation that's a little more positive, about what the future holds, uh, but also convinced that that healthcare is not going to turn to pre-COVID uh, status ever. Well, I think. I totally agree with that, but I think I would also like to interject that, say what you want, um, the U.S. healthcare system is still one of the very best in the world. And uh, despite the fact that we've uncovered some very deep and, and disturbing problems and the fact that it has to some degree broken, it is repairable. And we can we can utilize some solutions and put things back together again in a much, much better way. Well, I, I, I agree. I mean, when you when you see you know, some of the travel that I've done, how um, when really, really powerful, wealthy uh, individuals overseas want to get the best health care, they come to New York Presbyterian, right. uh, Brigham and Women's in Boston, they go to the Mayo Clinic, the Cleveland Clinic. They go to MD Anderson, UCLA Medical. I mean, th- these are the household names if you really need some the best of the best. So 
there is zero doubt in my mind that the U.S. Uh, as, a, as, a, as a country, society, uh, has the best health care. It is not always the most accessible, even though um, by law, everyone has to be treated that walks into an emergency room. Right. It is not efficient. It's not effective. It's not primary care. And we have a lot of issues uh, with it. We have talked in the past about about you know Medicare for all and the, why I don't think and why I'm, I'm pretty convinced that Medicare for all is not the solution. Um, national health care, uh, single payer is not a solution. Right. Um, but we do need to fix health care. We need to improve the humanity in health care. We need to align better uh, the, 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 the patient, the provider, and the payer or the employer. And we can talk about that in this subject and, and why I think, for example, you know, I think managed care um, has tremendous much more opportunity. Uh, and it has been growing for well over you know, 15 years right. uh, consistently. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity that can happen, but it will it will be you know it has been shaken to its roots, okay. When you've got you know at least by one of the last reports, a million and a half people unemployed. You've got hospitals losing a billion dollars a day. Uh, doctors' million, offices no, yeah. closed. Million I mean, and a half healthcare workers unemployed. A yes. million and a half healthcare workers. Yes, yes I'm sorry, unemployed. Um, you, you've you've got to change it, and yeah. and 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 I think it's already started. Um, we've talked about the uses of te technology like telemedicine. Um, which I think is uh, is a tremendous opportunity, especially when you link it with the existing provider, with the patient's medical records, uh, or EMR as we've known it, um, and we use other technologies that are going to make it much more effective and efficient. Right. Tra technology has transformed every industry, um, except healthcare. So far. except healthcare. Yeah. And 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 another industry is having some, you know, some really interesting moments with technology is education, but that's not this subject. Right. Um, so healthcare has not been transformed by healthcare, uh, I'm sorry, by technology, and I think that that is happening today. Well, I think that, you know, we've, um, I don't want to get uh, down a side road, but I think what we've we've talked about in the past is that there are many, uh, many technology companies have tried to enter the healthcare space only to fall flat on their face because of the complexity of healthcare. But right now, I think what we're seeing is that healthcare is driving technology, and I think that is the right solution in the right direction. But what I do want to uh, what I do want to get to is one of the key areas that needs to be fixed is primary care. Uh, our primary care physicians are in big trouble. Those are our main points of care. Those are frontline, community-based services to the population, and as we discussed in the last podcast, we could see upwards of 20% of our primary care providers literally go offline. And those businesses close, the ripple effect into the communities and, and into the entire healthcare system is huge. So how how do we how do we help our primary care physicians survive? Well let me that's a really good question and that it, it, there's nothing more the single point of, of both weakness and opportunity. Um, having helped in, be involved with the startup of two medical schools, one of the statistics that, that is shocking is, uh, at least a couple of years ago, it's probably only gotten worse, is the average age of a physician in the state of Florida is 57 years old. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. It, it, it's not going down. It, it's, it's maybe not be aging super fast, but it's not going down. So we have um, different estimates 
that in the next 20 years, we're going to have somewhere between $100,000 and $150,000 yeah. short. Uh, 100 and 150,000 physician, physician shortage, shortage right. uh, in, overwhelmingly in primary care. And that was that was before we started to see the physicians dropping off as a result of the pandemic. Right. So here's that's where I was getting to. So what, 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 what concerns me right now is that those physicians that are, you know, the average 57, so there's obviously many that are in their 60s, yeah. some in their 70s, it could be some even in their 80s, may say, I do not want to fight this anymore, and yeah. literally may give up and yeah. say, I don't want to do this. And, and, and they may be, you know, um, well enough that they could say, I just want to disconnect, close the office, lay off the employees, and I'm done. Okay. Or they may do some temporary work, uh, whether it's an urgent care or other type of facilities. And, and you're going to take capacity offline, which is horrible, yes. especially for a state like, like Florida that continues to grow. And people are coming from many places to make their their their, their homes Florida, and that that's not going to change. That's been going on for right. for 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 decades, right. uh, if okay. not centuries. Yeah, all right? the Gulf Coast states are uh, right. so, are seeing that. Yeah. So that's that's going to be a particular drive. But I think that's my concern mm -hmm. because they say, is it worth it? Can they get out of this? So we talked about in the last podcast that Medicare has taken a, a very strong leadership role. By advancing doctors, you know, a a uh, a sum of money based on what their prospective utilization is going to be in the next few months, um, and that that saves them short term, but that's not a gift, that's not a grant, it really is an advance. It's not even a good bandaid when you get so, down to it. So what? It's really more like a tourniquet, you know. It literally stops something temporarily right. until it gets better. So we, I think that there's going to be literally in a state like Florida, literally thousands of doctors that will decide unless somebody sends them a lifeline another lifeline that they can't do this and by the way even if they get it their problems are going to continue to get more difficult and particularly because of of what is being driven now by uh by the hospitals and the way they're competing with them and also mm -hmm. on the other so that's on one side on the other side is you've got managed care and and, and hospitals that have embraced managed care and the opportunity of managed care and by the way, consumers can manage care, right? And particularly Medicare, we've had an incredible growth in Medicare uh, managed care. Uh, literally in in two thousand and five, just to pick a point, about thirteen percent of Medicare Advantage, uh, I'm sorry, of of Medicare beneficiaries were in Medicare Advantage, which is basically sponsored programs by insurance companies, or we refer to them HMO. In twenty nineteen. That number had grown to 34%. Right. So it went from about 5.6 million people that are Medicare Advantage to 2019, 22 million people. That number is expected to continue to grow. Um, some are forecasting it certainly for the next five years to grow into the low 40%. There are markets where managed care has a 50% plus right. uh, penetration. Right. And there's even some markets where the number is more like 70%. I can tell you that both of my parents at some time, um, or, or most of the time, were in managed care programs. Mm -hmm. And the reason I've advocated for managed care is I understand the mentality how it works. Mm -hmm. And I understand that if you use it well, uh, and, and you're a responsive patient, the patient has responsibility here, um, that the managed care company has a huge incentive in keeping you healthy. And that people have a really hard time understanding. I've given presentations about that in, in colleges and universities and, and, and to business groups about why managed care the right managed care, that's not a blanket endorsement of managed care, but the right managed care type of organization can be value. And and basically, 
by their enrollment. Now think about it: five point six million to twenty-two million. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's over four hundred percent. That is. It's so huge. That's a huge number. But even if we let's let's stay with our primary care physicians and and how to get them out of out of the problem they have. Even if it seems to me, even if we switched from fee for service to managed care with our primary care physicians, that's a long term solution. That's not something that's going to get them out of hot water necessarily today. They're in they're in big. Uh, big time leases uh, and they've got uh, a big overhead cost in their practice and 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 yet they're on the low end of the pay scale when it comes to all physicians uh, on average so what what are the what are some of the real immediate solutions for the primary care physicians well Carl you're not a hundred percent right let me give you why okay the, the solution is... only have to be 80%. The solution is managed care for the primary care physicians. The other option, by the way, and it's still a viable option, is right. to become a concierge service. True. Okay? And, yeah. and you basically have uh, your your members at that point now, your patients pay you you know, a, a, a monthly, quarterly, annual uh, subscription fee, mm-hmm. plus they build the insurance company for the best. And, and you get a sort of, you know, there's no other way of saying this, is sort of the 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 concierge, the Cadillac type, the Cadillac type of service. So right. that, but that there's only so many people that can afford that. The Correct. number can range from uh, you know a uh, hundred dollars a month to a lot more than that. Okay, I I, I know people that are paying a thousand dollars a month for mm-hmm. that kind of super VIP kind of treatment. Um, so that's that's the other option. There's right. only a couple of options: you got fee for service, concierge, or you got managed care. The reason why managed care is a tremendous option for the physicians, primary care physicians is because it gives them a base compensation sort of no matter what. So in, in Florida, I can tell you a physician can 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 make in Medicare 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100, 100 plus dollars a month, every month sure. from the insurance company to manage the care of that patient. Now they have a lot of responsibility. They're managing the care of the patient. Yes. It's not the patient managing their care they come and see them. But in many times, you also have, you know, bonuses based on how well that patient care is managed. So that starts to align, at least now, the the insurance company, okay, the sponsor of the plan, the doctor, and the doctor's responsibility is to bring in the patient. So they provide the care. It is a solution. Um, and it is, it, it's not a short-term solution. It's not a 90-day solution. Right. But it's a two-year solution. I have, I have yes. bought practices. Um, as part of our company and brought them into our medical group. We've had medical groups before. And we were able to convert a, a physician from almost 100% fee-for-service to almost 100% managed care in a matter of three years. So that is a, that is what's happening regardless. But that's a shift in their patient patient, patient base also, I think, right? It is and I mean, it isn't because what happens if, if – if, if, yeah, let me give you an example. You cannot convert a pediatrician, okay, mm-hmm, right. to managed care Medicare. That That's an impossibility. Right. But you, because where we live in Florida, in particular, in other southern states or the Southern Belt, um, there's a lot. There's a, there's an aging population. Florida is one of the oldest average age in the United States, in the whole 50 states. But the reality is that almost all the 50 states are going to become Florida in the next 15 to 20 years. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, whether it's Pennsylvania or Ohio 
uh, Texas, Michigan, Texas, Michigan, yeah, Michigan uh, is a big deal. And, 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 and some of those don't want to come to Florida or don't want to come to Texas or don't want to come to Georgia or Tennessee, and they want to stay where they're at. So mm -hmm. those eight places are going to get, you know, uh, the average age is going to increase. People people retiring in place, really. Is what right. So, so the opportunity um, is that most of these doctors here, I can tell you, you know, my primary care has a mix of patients. And, and whether it's 30, 40, 50s, depending on the range, some of them could have 30 to 40% of their patients being over 65. Some can have 70 or 80% over 65. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so it's not that big of a, of, of a transition or that big of a challenge, but it is, it is something that they have to do. And, and the patients can either switch from one HMO to another, from one physician to another. Uh, for managed care, mm -hmm. and and doctors don't have to only practice in managed care. There there is sure. certainly a model where a doctor could practice a form of of, of concierge medicine, mm -hmm. okay, uh, which includes staying open late at night, preferred hours. I mean, think about it as first class on an airplane. You get mm -hmm. to board in early. You get to drink. You know, if you drinks, if you drink, uh, you get to you know to 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 to, to get the little towel, wash your hands. Mm -hmm. You know, so th you could have that. Okay, you could have coach. And then you could have, you know, you know, whatever worsen coach is, which you can name some airlines, but I won't name them. So you can have that flexibility. So you could have a doctor in a practice that could be fever service for those under 65, that could be managed care for those over 65, and could have a hybrid of the concierge service for everybody. So it's not one or the other, um, but here's the problem, Carl. It is nearly impossible for a physician to join managed care and do it effectively because you need a support structure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You don't just need the the receptionist, the physician assistant, and a nurse practitioner. You need analytics. You need data. You need technology. Right. Because you have to now track the patient. You need to know when a patient shows up to the emergency room, and what can you do for that patient. You have all the records. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and if not, what happens is, and I saw this with my my family, is the hospital because they don't know, and this is not negative on the hospital, they start doing procedures. Yeah. They start doing tests. Here, here's a blood test, here's a CAT scan, whatever the procedures are. And I can tell you, and I've talked about my father who passed away a few years ago, um, actually 10 years ago, um, is I had his files and I would walk into the hospital when he was admitted for something. And here's every, here's all the tests, here's all the circumstances. It doesn't mean they're not going to do the tests. Okay? They still may do it because it's relevant to whatever the case is. Or but now they have historical yeah. data. This is what right. this test looked like before. Yeah, yeah. You have a baseline. So, so the answer is managed care. The answer is not easy managed care because you have to understand how you work. So, for example, a doctor uh, is really hard to have case managers when you're by yourself. But if you're part of a group of 10 doctors, a case manager is a byproduct. Yeah. It literally, and I don't mean that in a negative way, it's a positive way. Now you right. have a person whose job you have an intermediary is now to get right. the patient through the system. Huh. Okay? One right. doctor cannot afford that, 10 doctors can afford it. Well, and 50 case... doctors can afford it even better. Sure, a case manager becomes a both an intermediary between the doctor and the patient but also an advocate. Let me uh But by the way, that advocate is really important. Yes. Because sometimes patients are ready to be discharged from the hospitals, but they need to go to a rehab center. Mm -hmm. They need to go to a rehab uh, uh, facility, right? Like like a nursing home or a nursing home. Okay, an intermediate step. And the person uh, who is the advocate for the patient, okay, becomes the, the, the case manager working in the doctor's office. Right, right. 
I want to take just a real brief step back because we've thrown a couple of terms around here that I want to make sure everybody understands. So if you could for us give us a real quick, concise definition of fee-for-service and managed care so people really understand what we're talking sure. about. Sure. Fee-for-service, the best way of doing fee-for-service is, is encounter-based, okay? Hmm. And this is the problem we've had with COVID. And, and the impact it's had on the healthcare because system. Because encounters are down. Right. So if encounters, are, if a doctor does not walk into a, a, I'm sorry, if a patient does not walk into a doctor's office in a fee for service, there's nothing to bill. There's not. It didn't happen. It doesn't happen. Right. Okay. And in some cases, at least historically, even if you called the doctor's office and wanted to get a refill, the doctor can't charge for that, and he doesn't charge for that. Yeah. Uh, because he can't. Um, so there's that. That's sort of an encounter base platform is where you literally are paid per encounter um and 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 it's unpredictable okay when people get sick how they get sick we know like in south florida we have the flu in right. the in, in in the winter time so you know there's going to be more capacity and more need mm-hmm. and if you go to a to a waiting room in a doctor's office here in december or january you'll see a lot of people waiting so sort of historical right so that's really fee for service, <clears throat> and there's our CPT codes, um, and 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 uh, CPT stands for what? Um, Caught you off guard, didn't I? Yeah, you did. Um, <laughs> let me see. Uh, ICD tens are the diagnosis. The CPT code is the payment. Right. So okay. you have to match both of them. Right. Um, they have to be met literally in a, in a HIPAA fifteen hundred form. You have to have both. So here's here's what the sickness was, and here's how we treated it. Mm-hmm. And there's intensities. So the doctors get paid by the CPT code, um, which is literally the 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 the, the, the way the system works, mm-hmm. which is interesting because everything's about numbers. So that's how they get paid, and that's the way fee for service works. And that way, by the way, effectively works in hospitals. And CPT in Medicare code is, is is uniform across healthcare. It's, it's, it's across all healthcare. It's yeah. actually, believe it or not, it was invented by the American um, uh, Medical Society. The AMA, AMA. America, Association. American Medical Association. Right. Um, so that's the way it works, okay? And, and when you get to Medicare, it tweaks a little bit, especially in hospitals, uh, because they get paid what's called DRGs, which is Diagnostic Related Group, which is where they bundle. So if right. you go in, you know, for chest pain, okay, that doesn't turn to something else, they get a, literally a, a, a chunk of money, whether you're there sort of two days or four days. So that's to incentivize the hospitals, right. not because in the old days they would bill per day. Yeah. So the hospitals, you know, had a macabre interest, even if it wasn't intentional. It, it, you know, it was you know, subconscious. Is the longer the patient stayed, the more they got paid. Not, not sure it was subconscious. Well, I, I, listen, I, <coughs> I have a lot of friends being, in the hospital business, so yeah. it was subconscious. Yeah. Well, I. So I, in managed care, if I ever care, have to go to one, I don't want to make enemies. So. Right. Exactly. Uh, um, so in managed care is very different. Managed care is all about premiums. It's all about payments. Like an insurance company. In the case of Medicare, the government pays uh, an insurance company, an HMO, could be another term for it, a fixed rate, what's called a per member per month. Now, it really gets complicated here. Let me give you an example. Medicare pays in every county in the United States a different rate for those DRGs or for those CPT codes. But it gets even more complicated. So imagine, you know, however multi-thousand counties there are in, in, in the United States. In Florida, there's 67. So there's 67 different payments in the state of Florida for every, for the same procedure. The second thing is that it, it changes in that capitation or that premium 
based on age. So from let's, let's assume just 65 to 100, okay? So you've got 35 different components in that age group, okay? So you've got counties, 67 variables. Now you have 35 variables on the, 60, on the 67 counties. Right. And then you go to male and female, the government pays different. So you've got, you know, think about this as, as you know, as an equation, right? Yeah. Um, and then it gets more complicated. So you got you got 67, okay? Um, you've got um, uh, 35. Yep. You got sort of the binary male and female. Then beyond that, you have a bunch of modifiers, which are based on how sick the person is. So if somebody's in perfect condition, got nothing wrong, no medication, the government pays a, a large amount, but relatively modest, because it really is more of a maintenance mode. Mm-hmm. However, if a patient has a number uh, of of pre-existing conditions, or as the term has been recently, you know, hyperuse sort of comorbidities, right? Then they pay more. So a person could have, let me give you an example: diabetes, COPD, uh, could have a heart condition, high blood pressure, and, and, and so those are all value added uh, as far as to the premium. So right. it's a really complex formula. I can tell you that. Uh, when we were treating, you know, ten and twenty thousand patients at a time, um, we had thousands of variables for yeah. those patients, yeah. and 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 Medicare calculated, the insurance companies calculated, um, but the sum was, I'll tell you, the average is we were we were receiving about a thousand dollars per member per month, and we were responsible for everything. Now we were responsible financially for the hospitals, uh, we were responsible for medications, we were responsible for. A base amount of of rehab and therapy and whatever they needed, but what that does is, and this is what I tell people, why I'm, you know my family's been a member of managed care is that also aligns um, the interests of the provider at large, the medical group, with the insurance companies, with the consumer, because they want to keep the patient as as healthy as possible. So let me give you the things that we did in extreme. Okay, if we had to send a mammography machine, a mobile mammography machine. For a patient that could not or did not want to go to have a mammography test, we would send it out. If we had to go send a car to pick up a patient and bring them to the clinic, we did that. Um, if we had to call them every day, I can tell you that we had case managers call certain patients every single day to make sure they were taking their medications. Right. Th- those are the kind of things that a managed care company does. And today, by the way, we could do better because we have technology. I mean, we were talking about literally either calling them Mm-hmm. We're going to visit them. That was really the only two variables, right? right? Today, you've got you know a lot of technology. Uh, certainly, telemedicine is a big opportunity. And as we've talked in the past, you know, I think I think the big revolution is going to be at the crossroads of managed care, telemedicine, IoT, and you know the patient's personal health record. That that, that that's that's the secret sauce. So. All right. So I understand then the fee for service is encounter based. And managed care is basically a flat fee that is received based on a number of variables and the patient. So, uh, and that's 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 interesting. So I can see how that would be beneficial to a primary care patient practice. Right. Uh, so let me give you an example. They have something they can depend on so long as that patient stays alive. Right. But here's yeah. what insurance companies do um, to attract the patient, and that's why the number went from 5.6 million. Right. In, in 2005, $22 million. So Medicare allows them to provide above Medicare services. So for example, 
and I don't know the exact number, but I think Medicare allows for one uh, eyeglasses every two years. Hmm. And in, a Medicare health plan, uh, Medicare Advantage plan could offer one per year. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have fee for service Medicare, you have what's called Medicare Part D, okay, which is we can talk about A, B, C, and D. D is sort of the drug benefits that have certain restrictions, certain requirements. The the there's certain you know minimum maximums and all these things that could happen in Medicare Part D when you do a fee for service environment. And a Medicare um, managed care company could say, we're changing this and we're making it simple. We, we'll literally give you free medicine for nothing right. uh, based on, on certain conditions. So those are the kind of things they could do. They do, almost all of them do some kind of a gym membership. Uh, silver, many of, silver sneakers. Yeah, oh, silver right. sneakers is one of them. And many of them provide all kinds of other things that are much more holistic, you know, yoga classes, all kinds of things to both induce the patient to come in but at the end of the day, their goal is to get the patient healthier. So one of the keys then that I'm I'm hearing you talk about is um, being able to stay close with that patient, to know what they're doing and and what's going on with them. Uh, so that would that would kind of touch, I think, a an area that is of a great deal of interest to me, and that's remote patient monitoring, uh, remote patient care, the wearables, the uh, Internet of Things, and all of those things that we've been looking at. So, um, I'm wondering what uh, what is your what what are your thoughts about uh, remote patient care, how that how that affects uh, nursing homes, uh, the smart homes that we have talked about at at one point. Let me tell you, I, I think that one one of the reasons is that managed care is going to be so exciting, and you know, and I'm excited by it in, in, in the next few years, is when you when you have that technology infused care. Let me give you an example. For a doctor who has a fee for service Medicare practice, he has zero requirements, zero incentive, uh, zero demand to help the patient get connected. Mm-hmm. It just it's not that's not his job. That's not there's okay? no benefit. But but when you have a doctor, as I described to you, that is getting, or a group of doctors, that is getting a capitation payment from the insurance companies to keep that patient healthy, they have the incentive to invest in that patient. So that doctor could say, you know, Mr. or Mrs. X, we're going to give you this device that you're going to put on your wrist, and they're going to tell with your obviously with their consent that, that's right. taken. Right. Um, that's going to tell us what your blood pressure is three or four times a day. It's going to tell us uh, what your pulse is. And if you use this device, which, by the way, they're paying for, that is a, a blood glucose monitor, we connect it to the Internet, and we will get that information to, to, from us or to, to us from you. Um, if you use this weight scale, okay, which we'll give it to you for free. Here it is for free. Okay? We connect it to the Internet. We'll know what your weight is. So if you've got a problem with weight, um, and I don't mean – I'm not talking about just a weight problem. I'm talking about something that has to do with your health. Right. Okay. Right. Like somebody, let me give you an example. Somebody has a congestive heart failure. If they gain weight, it may be really, really serious. Right. That's okay. Yeah. Uh, so that's a scenario. Same thing with somebody who's who's Di- diabetic. Di- diabetic. So, exactly. So what happens is now you have the ability to push technology to the consumer the way it's never happened. This is one of the challenges with technology companies coming up, mostly out of Silicon Valley, is they come up with great tools, great opportunities, and my question to them is always, who pays? Well, well this goes back to the comment that I made about healthcare pushing technology at this point. Got it. Yeah. So you, I think you've referred in the past as solutions looking for problems. Yeah. So what happens is when you're using that now technology, 
That technology in the next couple of years, this is not no longer a decade, because of COVID, it's going to be right now. Mm-hmm. You're going to have the ability to monitor patients at the hospital, okay? That even if you're not in the hospital, even if you're not a hospital. So if you're a primary care, you're going to be able, you could be able to monitor it. I think it'll dramatically change nursing homes, yeah. uh, assisted living facilities, and things like that, because you'll be able to be much more engaged. I mean, one of the, the saddest things you can read is we 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 witnesses here in South Florida. When you had we had the hurricane a couple of years ago, and how many people in nursing homes literally died? Yeah, because no one knew their condition. And obviously, we've seen what's happened in states like New York, yeah. where you had a tremendous amount of patients that were in nursing homes, and it really ravaged those nursing homes because the connectivity wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And if you were able to monitor patients, you know, uh, blood oxygen level, you would have seen the red lights come up constantly. What exactly. was going on and tell us to do. So I think that the hospitals are going to be changed by technology, the integration of IoT devices, EHR devices, and proactive care. I think nursing homes are going to be changed. ALFs are going to be changed. But I think what's going to happen even more dramatic, and this is this is where we'll probably sort of end this this podcast in the series, yeah. is I think you're going to be able to push technology where people are going to say, I do not want to go to a nursing home. I want to get out of the hospital faster. So you may end up having, and I want to you know sort of paraphrase, um, sort of a remote ICU where a patient leaves the hospital even earlier than they do today, but they're monitored effectively 24 hours a day for certain conditions. Mm-hmm. Make sure they recover. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, make sure they get out um, they, 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 very well, because the hospitals are are really we've talked about this are not a great place to recover, and they're uh, no. and they're not a great place because there there are a lot of germs and viruses running around a hospital. That's what they do. So I think you're going to end up with people that are saying, you know what, I do not want to go to a nursing home. Okay, I want to be treated as long as I can in my home. So you're going to create smart homes. You're going to go in there and rewire house. Okay. Make sure they have high-speed internet. They may or may not have it. You're going to make sure they've got the Wi-Fi available, right. that you connect those devices, the blood crucial, the blood pressure, the weight, all the things connected right. to the, the device. And you have the ability to do your sort of high-speed interaction with the patients. Uh, and, 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 and you're not talking about a tremendous amount of money no. when you're seeing no. a patient and you can avoid a hospital admission. Right. A hospital admit, the average hospital admission to an HMO is about eight thousand dollars. So if you can avoid one hospital admission, okay, um, then it's worth all that investment. All of that doesn't cost eight thousand dollars. Right. Yeah. So so I think we're going to have much smarter homes, much smarter, more connected individuals. I think you'll have a better life, better quality of life than being institutionalized. Okay? Yes. Yeah. Um, and 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 I mean that with the most respect and the most admiration for the people in that in that part of the industry. So I think you're going to end up with smarter homes, smarter connected homes. You're going to have doctors that are going to be working telemedicine, like I'm envisioning right now, that doctors are going to work, you know, two or three days a week from their office environment, and they may work, work, you know, one or two days or even on weekends in a remote basis, wherever their homes are, mm-hmm. so they communicate with the patient. So I think you're going to have much more connectivity and be able to divert patients before they become critical. Well, that, okay? okay. So that cough is not Huge. going to turn to bronchitis, turn into pneumonia. Oh, yeah. You know, turn into a hospital admission, right? Exactly, and that's it. Yep. What else do you think we we we, we have? Well, covered? I think we've I think we've we've got room to uh, talk in further podcasts about technology and how how technology is being infused into healthcare and what that really means for healthcare and and how that can drive uh, drive costs downward and quality of care up. 
uh, I think uh, it'll it'll aid also in terms of, of point of care with the telemedicine portals and so on. Um, but uh, I'm also curious and, and would like to get into in another podcast a little bit more discussion of the consumerism side of things and how how consumerism is uh, is being affected, how the medical office building, the MOB as we call it, how how that the face of that may be changing because of what uh, what the physicians are going through. Not just not just the primary care physicians, but every every class of physician that is going to be affected. So I listen. What you, I think it's a great point, and maybe we'll we'll extend the series to talk about that. But I think that. Uh, we have seen in the last few years, if you haven't noticed, we've had a number of new hotel brands come out mm-hmm. uh, because the the hotel operators have realized that they have to attract a different generation. Okay, the Xers, the Millennials, and they they want it different. They're not that sort of the whole you know forget about you know we we our generation hated the Holiday Inns and the Ramada Inns of the world. Yeah. So we got into the Marriotts and the Hiltons and the Hyatts and that those were sort of our brands. Right. Now there's a new brand coming out that we've seen now that are very, very modern looking. So what I think is going to ha- is happening already. Uh, it's just going to be slow moving, but it may be again accelerated by COVID. Is those those dark, dingy medical office buildings you know where they they all the doors look the same all the buildings look the same right and there's one building after the next i think are going to be over and i think um that'll be a great time for another conversation so i agree we'll we'll thank everyone uh for listening for sending comments and hopefully you find it uh uh entertaining that's carl's responsibility educational enlightening that's i'll try to take that i'll I'll dress i'll dress for it next time all right thank you very much we'll hope to see you next time Thank you for listening to our podcast. To learn more about our company, please check out our website at oxiohealth.io. That's www.oxiohealth.io.